the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So we're continuing our little journey through Malachi. Let me put it again in perspective. I know as many of you have heard it. Nehemiah had come back to help rebuild the walls. Come back. That is from the Persian Empire. It used to be the Babylonian. Comes back, helps rebuild the walls, brings national revival. They spend 18 days in church, five days off, to come back and do six hours of church. But he is recalled. He has to return to Susa, to Babylon, And in that period of time, Israel's devotion, or particularly the tribe of Judah's devotion to the Lord begins to wane. When you get to the last chapter, last couple chapters of Nehemiah, he brings reform to that. But Malachi is in between those two times, when he left and between the time he returned. So last time we talked about God's rebuke, correction, of the Levites for not preaching the truth of God's word, doing it with partiality. So that brings us to chapter 2, starting, excuse me, starting in verse 10. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 10. When you're there, please stand. It is our tradition to stand for the reading of God's word. If you're having trouble finding Malachi, it is the last book of the Old Testament, just before the New Testament book of Matthew. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. Do we not all have one Father? Is not one God, is it not one God who created us? Some versions say all. Why do you deal treacherously, each against his brother, and so profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel, in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Notice that singular. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from his tents, from the tents of Jacob, everyone who awakes and answer. That awakes answer is like saying slave or free. It's, it's a statement. That's just everybody. Okay? Or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and sighing. Because no, no longer, he no longer gives attention to the offerings or accepts with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? 
because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your marriage companion and the wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? Now, I'm going to stop real quick. Your version may read a bit different. This is one of the most complicated passages in the Old Testament as far as the Hebrew goes. Okay, so yours might read a little different, but I'll explain that later. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Verse 16. For I, this is the Lord, that I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with violence or injustice, depends on which version you have, says the Lord of hosts. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? You may be seated. Before I, I begin, I want to let you know, I shared this with Timothy this week. Uh, I have spent hours reading and trying to get clarity on the Hebrew here. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm way better with Greek than I am with Hebrew. I still I struggle with it immensely, so I have to read a lot of great scholarly minds, people that are more brilliant than me, to try to get a handle on this. So I put a lot of time into it. Uh, just to let you know, I, I, don't, I don't bring the Word of God to you frivolously. I, I, I take it seriously when I'm going to say you the Word of God says. So we began with this statement in verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Is it not one God who created us all? Okay, please, please, please don't think about the universal brotherhood of man. That's not the context here. This is based on the idea coming from Deuteronomy 32 and 6, where God says, Do you thus repay the Lord? you foolish, senseless people, the Hebrews. Is he not your father who created you, who created the nation of Israel? This isn't relative to God creating all of humanity. In particular, this is the context. Aren't we all of one father, both God the Father and Abraham in that sense? Okay, he, Isn't he the one that created us? We wouldn't be a nation without God, is what he's saying. Then we keep going in verse 10. Why do we, now that is the word of the Nehemiah, Malachi speaking as we, he includes himself in the bunch, okay? deal treacherously each against his brother. Now, if we look at this passage, and, and those of you who do inductive Bible study with us on Wednesdays, you understand that we do this, but the word brother, the word family, the word father, all those things show up in this passage Okay, they're statements, words associated with family. He says, you have dealt treacherously with your brother. In the family, 
You've treacherously, treacherously, what's that? And looking at the Hebrew word is, is sort of to act covertly, sneaky, to betray, to be deceitful, to be disloyal and unfaithful. In a one way, I tend to think of it like treason. When we say the word treason, we think of a spy being sort of sneaky and selling secrets. He's not faithful to his country, but there's that sneakiness going on with it. Okay, that, that's the Hebrew word here. Okay, you have been this way each against his brother. So the indictment here is of individuals. It's not the only place he goes, but that's where he starts. It presupposes, therefore, that is there some obligation in this brotherhood to be loyal. Right? If I'm accusing you of not being loyal in the relationship with these brothers, it presupposes God, through the prophet here, is presupposing that you should be, you ought to be loyal to one another, especially don't be sneaky and disloyal. Then he makes another indictment, and he does that against the tribe of Judah. That a tribe is a family of lineage, heritage, genealogy, out of Jacob, who had 12 sons, each one of them come down a lineage, and they, to this day, Jews still like to know which family they're from, okay, which tribe. Okay? Again, now this supposes something else. It presupposes that there's some kind of loyalty on the individual level, but then there's some kind of loyalty that they're, loyalty that they're obligated to between families. So this family and that family, there should be some kind of loyalty there if you've been disloyal. So these indictments presuppose a loyalty both to the community between families and between individuals. There's no charge against them if that's not so. And this would be because uh, God's covenant is a covenant of community. It's with Israel as a whole, but therefore that also means that the covenant with each family and therefore each individual. They are all of one bloodline, that is, one common father. So it starts that way, right? We all have one father. Okay. So this fidelity is imperative to God's covenant with his people. God holds this in high regard, This loyalty that's supposed to happen in the covenant community, whether it's individual, family, or even bigger, God thinks it's important enough to address it when someone along the line have been unfaithful in that process. And that third, he comes to another third indictment here is against Israel itself. Okay, that is not Israel, the location, geography, but as the chosen holy nation. Okay? They are God's divine portion. Deuteronomy 32 and 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Now I'm setting you up here for a couple weeks from now. But I'm setting you up here. The people are the Lord's portion. Jacob is an allotment of his inheritance. Jacob was the name before it was changed to Israel. So you find this idea of God's divine portion goes all the way back to the creation of the universe. There's an entire universe out there. God says, yeah, but the earth is created to be inhabited. Of all the earth out there, he goes, well, yeah, there's a particular garden that I'm sticking you in. And of that garden, there's a divine portion in that. Don't touch that tree. You following me? 
this continues along the way. There's all these people. He says, wait a minute, you, Abe, that's Abraham, not Abe Lincoln. There's you. I've set you aside, and from you the nations of all the earth will be blessed. And from those, his descendants, he has two, one he shouldn't have had, and the other one that was God's promise, okay? It's through that promise when we get the people of Israel. So um, what's interesting is they say, the Scripture also tells us in Exodus and Deuteronomy, they, they belong to God. They're his possession. It also says in Jeremiah 2 and 3 that they are the first harvest of the Lord. If you get to the New Testament, Paul talks about about Jesus himself came to the Jew first, then the Gentile, and Paul talks about that. But in this case, the indictment against Israel is not that they dealt treacherously. It is rather they committed an abomination. Okay, Abomination is not what we were under that past president. Well, maybe. Anyway, abomination means something that is repugnant, detestable, abhorrent, loathsome, nauseating, repulsive, and sickening. Those are the, would be synonyms for that word. Okay, Israel has just some done something just sickening to God. It makes him nauseous. It's repugnant to him. This same word is used as some other things in Scripture. I'm not going to list them all today, but let me give you a few. Idol worship is an abomination. Human sacrifice is abomination. Would anybody do any of those? Cross-dressing, Deuteronomy 22 and 5. Incest, Leviticus 18. Homosexuality, Leviticus 18. Bestiality, adultery, all forms of witchcraft, sorcery, fortune-telling, and divination. Those are all an abomination. They make God sick. So does a cheating businessman. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before the businessman goes down so hard on one of those other ones, it, in the Bible it says unjust weights. So you would come to me and I'm going to weigh you out a pound of flour, but I've, I've rigged the weights a little bit so it weighs more so I get more money out of it. A cheating businessman, that's the best way to put it. And then this one, I, don't, I think you all need to be aware of this too before we want to pass too much judgment on one of those other ones first. One who spreads strife among the brethren, Proverbs 6 and 19. So, so homosexuality is abomination. It sickens God. So does it when somebody stirs up division in the church among the brethren. But that's the word used here. Well, how? 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 What, what have they done to make God sick, to make a stomach turn? That's an analogy. God the Father doesn't have a stomach. Okay, those are words that we understand. Judah has profaned the sanctuary which he loves and has married the daughter of the foreign god of a foreign god okay he has profaned or desecrated the sanctuary of the lord in this case it's talking about israel it's not that building it's israel it's israel he loves he don't love buildings he loves people and, and you can see this in psalms 114 2 and other places you have desecrated this holy thing a holy people and i said you've already seen that we're God has chosen them. Well, he calls them holy. Okay, And the Bible tells us that a tenth or a remnant of them will remain. And I don't have too many scriptures on that. If you know anything about eschatology, that's end time stuff. That, that at one point, 
Israel is attacked, particularly in Jerusalem, is going to be attacked by all kinds of armies. Jesus will return and defend Israel against that army. He will descend upon the Mount of Olives in Israel and protect that remnant, that portion, that when they returned from Assyrian captivity was a tenth. Okay, it's a typology. And they will look upon the one in whom they have pierced. Uh, that's out of Zechariah and John. Okay? So th- you're a holy people. You have desecrated that sanctuary. I dwell among my people. You've desecrated that. Why? How? By marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Okay? So he makes a blanket like as Israel married one woman. But really what it is, remember that family thing? It's Israel as a whole. You have the family, have the individual. When the individual started marrying the foreign women, so did the family. It actually gets in the genes, right? And therefore Israel as a whole has done this. Now, these women did not convert to Judaism. We, we know this, we read that in Nehemiah. Compared to, you could, a foreigner could be part of the heritage of Israel by converting to Judaism. I mean, let's say Ruth would be an example of that, who was a Moabite. So they were marrying these women, and they didn't convert. We find in, in Nehemiah that they didn't even learn the language. They were speaking the language of their mother, when Nehemiah returns. So long enough time has passed for these children to learn to speak and to speak a language, not Hebrew. Why is marrying these foreign women so sickening to God? Why is it abomination? Well, first of all, simply disobedience. Okay? And that's in Exodus 34 and Numbers, or Deuteronomy 7. But see, disobedience is a lack of trust in God. Well, I know what you said, God, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure you know the best way. I I have another, I think this is better. I know you said we'll marry one of the neighbor girls, but have you seen that one over there? I'm not sure you know what you're talking about, God. Okay? Hey, it's the thing today. It started at the beginning of the book. Get you to question what God said. Don't trust it. That's why disobedience is hard. You just simply say, God, I'm sorry, you... I'm brighter than you. No, yeah, think about that. Would you look at God? If, if, if Jesus was standing here today, would you tell him, you, I'm sorry, God, Jesus, I, I've got it figured out. You're wrong. That's what sin is. That's when we disobey God. Okay, we offend his nature and say we know better. Isn't that the original sin? Oh, you can be like God. How? I get to decide whether that fruit's good for us or not. Okay. It also is a a breaking of the covenant. We'll address that a little later. But what they didn't do, they didn't treat what God said was holy as holy. He says, look, this is holy. I made you a nation. I chose you. I designed it this way. And you're not treating it as sacred. I want you to think about that in the context of what I read the kids, the scripture I read the kids during kids' time. We will get there. Okay? They thought they can do whatever they wanted with what belonged to God. Now, they weren't holy because they were perfect. That's for sure. They, the Israelites mess up all the time. They're holy because God had declared them so. That's the same with you. That's called justification. When God declares you holy and righteous, it has nothing to do with what you really are in the natural. It is what position he places you. We went through that on Wednesday night here a couple nights ago. 
couple Wednesdays ago. Okay? Perhaps someone was teaching them. Well, first, maybe they just didn't see themselves as belonging to God. Maybe they saw themselves as belonging to themselves. I know that sounds weird today to us, but go have a conversation on a college campus today. Well, that's your truth. I have my truth. Truth belongs to me. This is mine. That's yours. Truth has nothing to do with God who is truth. His word that is truth. Scripture tells us those things. Okay? Truth is something that belongs to God. When you say and you want to change it, it's idolatry, thus the abomination. Perhaps someone told them, uh, you know, God doesn't want you to get married out of religious duty. You know, I know, you're, I know the religion, the, the rules say you marry a Jewish girl, but you, man, you know, because God really cares what's in your heart. He, he doesn't want you to marry somebody begrudgingly or reluctantly. I mean, he wants you to be happy and cheerful. That's what God wants is you to be happy. You, I can show you that today. I can get you their audio tape, or excuse me, uh, the digital download of people saying that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's love. You've got to marry for love. Now, I'm not mocking that idea, but I want you to imagine what's being said. Okay, you're a young man or a young woman. Growing up, you don't have a lot of choices at that time. All of Israel is not back in Jerusalem. They're still up in, under the Persian rule. Okay, down here, there, there are estimates of 55 to 75,000, okay? So if anybody remember when Nampa was 50,000. Anyway, um, they, they didn't have as many choices as they want. They can look out around them because it was geographically close, so those other people, and he can see these ladies, and I'm going to ask you a question. How do you fall in love with somebody over there? If it's just looks, it's, it's lust, Somehow or another, they had to spend time with Betty Lou from over there. Uh, that's not, I know that's not a Jewish name. Okay. All right. But somewhere they had interaction with these non-Hebrew girls. Now, if you remember, one of the things that Nehemiah brings in, it says, stop doing business with these people on Saturday, the Sabbath. Don't let them into the city. Shut the doors. And then Nehemiah, they still would camp outside the doors because they wanted to come in and do business. And Nehemiah said, if you don't leave, oh, it's going to get violent. Do anybody remember that when we talked about that? So I would imagine one of the ways they met these foreign girls was when they came into town for business. I would imagine it's one way. Okay, nothing wrong with that. All right. But imagine, well, wait a minute. I'm watching, those of us who are older understand when you watch those younger ones and you could see that thing happening, that connection thingy going on, right? Um, and somebody else, you know, well, hey, uh, excuse me, Mr. Jones. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, I think I see your, your son's really got eyes for Betty Lou. She's not Jewish, you know. I imagine the conversation in the parents. Well, we don't want to force him to marry somebody he doesn't love. Can, can you, come on, there's movies about this. That's what Romeo and Juliet's all about. Okay, I know, it was the last time you watched that or read it, okay? Who wants to force their child to marry someone they don't love? I can give you all kinds of rational reasons here to disobey God's word for these people, what was for the Jewish people, okay? 
Maybe a young man said this to his parents. Well, you know, Mom, I'm just being a witness. Well, you know, if, if we're not out there among them, we can't win them to Judaism. They had just went through spiritual revival. That's what my turns for it. But I would imagine they assumed they were spiritually strong. I can do this. I, I can intermingle their idolatry in my life and it not get me. Think about it. They have just gone through a great period of spiritual renewal. They just came for, like for in America, the first great awakening. If you don't know about that, go read on it. Okay? This great revival, this time of spiritual renewal and, and getting everything back in order the way God wanted it. It's all right. My kid's a good Christian kid. He can do it. <clears throat> Thing is, it spread like a disease. By the time we get to this point, it ain't one guy. It's multiple. And we see in Nehemiah the, how that worked out. Okay. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, everybody, and those who present their offerings to the Lord of hosts. Notice in that one verse, the word Lord's used twice. You, you, you see an emphasis here. This is the Lord. This is the Lord. This is the Lord. We'll get to it when we get to that part where God says he hates divorce. <clears throat> I know. You can leave now. It's all right. Malachi, this is a prayer where Malachi actually, actually prays that God excommunicates, cuts off these men from worship and from the family. Boy, that's harsh, right? Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 5, there is a man there who is in an immoral physical relationship because of kids here today. I'm not going to describe that, okay? We talked about it, matter of fact, this last Wednesday night. He says, this is what Paul says about this New Testament now, about this person that was behaving immoral. Remove him from among you. Verse 2. Verse 11 do not associate with such people. Again in verse 11, now listen to this, don't even eat with such people. Well, that's tough. That's brutal. Yeah, because it's contagious like a disease. That's why when God speaks to Israel in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about not doing this is because they'll flip you. Let me put it another way, okay? Bad company corrupts good character. Scripture never says the opposite. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.